The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review the 2-2 draw at home versus FC Dallas, and we'll preview the upcoming Charlotte match and then cover a little bit of other Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and we have another special guest returning to the show. The one and only Chris Wellhausen. Surprise, I'm back <laughs> and still recovering from the game. <laughs> so we're we're not firing on all cylinders here tonight, folks. I just got back from California for a wedding. Uh, we landed in Austin. I think we landed at 630. Uh, it is now 945. I walked in the door about 10 minutes ago because there's lightning storms. And apparently it's dangerous for people to be outside when there's a lot of lightning happening. Therefore, there was no one to take us into the gate. So we just sat on the tarmac for like two and a half hours before we could go inside the airport. Uh, so I'm walking into this one a little bit blind. Also, didn't really have time to prepare. So uh, I'm hoping, I think this could either be like the best show ever or the worst show ever. It's like the best show ever because I'm just like, I'm like guided by my instinct and just shooting from the hip here. Or it could be the worst because I've not prepared at all. But luckily, I have my two friends here who who are prepared and did get to see the whole game live. Uh, but also, Chris is a little bit sick today. So this thanks is, for still jumping on, buddy. Slight illnesses aside, this is the situation I thrive most in. All gas, no breaks, baby. Let's go. <laughs> so um, I was in California for a wedding. Uh, speaking of weddings, congratulations to Mike and Steph from Swoon Tower Soccer because they got married over Wait, the weekend as well. They're dating? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you just thought they had this that di- dynamic chemistry that comes yeah, out of nowhere? Heck? Those two people I follow on Twitter are together? That's crazy. <laughs> but b- both of these weddings were postponed for years due to COVID. And then Mike and Steph's ended up, I think, having locations changed. The country it was supposed to be in changed at least once, if not multiple times. And so I'm sure that they were thrilled to finally get to do this, even if it wasn't exactly the way they thought. But they're great. Um, Congratulations to those guys. Uh, But the wedding I was at was, it was one of my wife's friends from when she did Peace Corps in Cameroon like 15 years ago or whatever it was. And so uh, one of her friends that was at the wedding is a guy named Brian. Brian owns a bar in Washington, D.C. It is a Liverpool bar in on weekend mornings. It's like an Irish pub, and they show Liverpool games and have, have a good turnout for those. They are now an Austin FC bar. What? Because really? they, yeah, they, have, they have an Austin FC uh, scarf hanging above the bar. Not a DC United one, an Austin FC one. It's downtown DC. <laughs> and the reason being is um, whenever Austin FC played in DC, that is where all of the traveling Austin supporters partied before and or after the game. I can't remember. Maybe it was after. But uh, there's a guy that lives in DC from Austin or maybe from Texas somewhere named Aaron Conrado, who's a regular at this bar. And kind of put them in touch. And we found out after the fact, like 
our friend Brian started texting us photos like, hey, there's a bunch of crazy people from Austin in my bar right now. What the hell is going on? <laughs> and so he was like sold, though. He's like, I love it. I'm actually like I'm, I'm an Austin FC fan now. My bar is an Austin FC bar. And so, Jeremiah, if you or any of the other uh, Austin Liverpool people are ever in D.C., then I've got the bar for you. What a perfect combination. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Biggest, biggest club in the world. Yeah, no it's called Ex- it. Exiles. Exiles is the name of the bar. If anybody's ever in the D.C. area, check it out. Good place, good people, and uh, they're Austin FC people now. Love it. Well, hey, all well, right. Well, we'll talk oh, about one ahead. more thing. How many cookies did you get to eat when yeah. you were stuck on the tarmac? And oh, what, are, what are the FFA? What are the FFA <laughs> regulations around feeding you cookies? Yeah, you skipped over the most important detail. Yeah, so we're sitting on the plane, and the pilot just he comes on every ten minutes, and he's like. Well, the bad news is I don't have any good news, but the good news is I don't have any bad news. So we're just going to sit on this plane for a little longer. I just like kept checking in. I was like, we're just going to hang out for a little longer. And then eventually one of the flight attendants came on and said, essentially it was like, we're required by law to give you cookies now because you've been on the plane for an hour and a half. <laughs> so handed out cookies and was like, okay, I guess this is some kind of Wait, consolation, what kind of- but... What kind of cookies were they? Were they decent? Uh, like the little biscotti, like cinnamon biscotti things that they mm. give you with your coffee normally. Honestly, I love those cookies. I'm jealous. They're pretty that good, you were stuck on the tarmac after for like an hour. Uh, <laughs> after not eating a real meal for eight hours. I was didn't really want cookies anymore, Chris. You didn't have to eat a real dinner, and you got to eat cookies. You lived like every five year old's dream. <laughs> All right, let's jump into Austin FC news. Unless there's any any other shenanigans or hijinks that we want to cover, no, <laughs> I think I think we've covered enough of it. Tonight. Okay. Um, all right, All Star voting is open. Uh, they I don't think they've released any more numbers, but the other day they released kind of the top ten, um, top ten in each position group, and I believe Drewsy and Ring were the only Austin FC players currently in the top votes. How how do y'all feel about that? Do you think those are fair or are we missing somebody or what should that look like on the Austin FC front? Well, first of all, I'm proud of you for nailing that without any memory. So like this, you may, you may actually be the same as you are, you know, on every other show, which maybe <laughs> speaks to, I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad for you, but yeah, they're the only two. Um, what's the deal? So ring, you had to choose either ring or Pereira. Is that right? Right. It's a weird little, like the way that they have it divvied up, like, it's a defensive midfielder category and then like an attacking midfielder category. And so like really the only combinations you can make are you can vote for two of Drewsy, Owen Wolf and Felipe Martins. And then you can vote for one of Alex Ring, Danny Pereira, Johan Valencia. Yeah. I mean, so given those restrictions, I guess I'm not that surprised by it. I would have thought maybe Brad Stuver would make his way into the top yeah. 10. Um, that's the one that's I'm not I mean, I'm obviously not surprised that Drewsy and Ring are in the top ten, but I was a little surprised that Stuver wasn't. I think Stuver still really gets overlooked since he's so new on the scene. But also Fagundes, I believe, is still leading in assists. Like Yes, that's the one that I wanted to mention is I think if there are two players that right now deserve to be if not on the final team, but in the conversation, I think it's Drewsy and Fagundes. Because yeah, like like you said, Chris, leading the league in assists or maybe Somebody may have overtaken him at this point, but still up there playing really well for a good team. The best uh, team. I, 
I think it's if he's not even in that top ten. I mean, it is a it's kind of a stacked position to yeah. be fair. But I think if if there were going to be any guys on the team, I would put Fagundes on there over Ring at this point. Yeah, it's also a little discouraging. All my Freddie Kleeman votes have seemingly gone to waste so far. But you know, <laughs> not done yet. Keep it going. Yeah, the people who keep posting their ballots with Ethan Finley, and it really shows their dedication to the home team. I think like you could probably find somebody else to put that slot and just vote I for like think nine awesome players. I don't think, I, I think there's not like not anybody else to put in that spot the way that it shakes out. I can't remember who the options are, but it's, you can choose like Facundes, Uruti, Finley, and I don't know who else. So yeah, Redis? I don't know. I don't, I, so I'm, now I'm thinking of it. I think you can, it's only people who have played 50% of the games mm. are eligible. So a lot of the guys aren't even on there. But uh, anyway, that voting is still open. That will, I don't remember the date, but you can vote once a day. July so, 1st through Friday, July 1st. July 1st. Okay. Yep. Uh, and that's going to be split up into, I think it's um, media, players, and fans will all get an even, pers- like an even proportion of that vote. And so just because we vote for Brad Stuver a billion times doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get in there, but it helps for sure. So vote every day, vote on, I think you can vote on multiple devices uh, and maybe get some extra votes in there. So do that too. Uh, Also Dallas away tickets are on sale. What is the date of that game? That's July 16th. Is that right? That is right. Sounds right. July 16th. um, But the tickets are going to stop being sold this Wednesday. So the day after this episode releases is the last day to buy tickets through the supporters groups and to like sit in that section. And like last time, I think everybody kind of thought like, oh, it'll be okay. We can just kind of still buy tickets around there. But they kind of made it difficult uh, last time. And those seats actually did kind of start selling around that section and it got kind of difficult for people to get seats into the supporter section. So if you think you're going to want to do that, go ahead and buy those now to make sure you can uh, get in the section. And also there are buses being provided that you can, I think it's like 10 extra bucks and you get bus travel there yeah, and back on the I same think it's, night. For perspective too, I think it's only $35 for a ticket and it's 45 with the bus ride. If you go through Los Verdes. So yeah, affordable. Deal. cheaper than going to Q2 for sure. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh it comes with beer the bus comes with beer also you know it's like drink you know everybody can drink ten dollars worth of booze i have a feeling <laughs> you, you can't see since this is a recording but pretty much all of our eyebrows just bounced when jeremiah said that so <laughs> <laughs> uh also in other austin fc news both of the uh older two austin fc academy teams are playing in the mls next cup which is essentially essentially like mls next playoffs uh the u15s and the u17s have both advanced to the quarterfinals do y'all know who they are playing in the quarterfinals i don't i don't know has it been released yet so the 15s are playing against inter miami the 17s okay. as of about two hours ago when i looked this uh looked this up to write into the show notes they their opponent wasn't determined yet i think whoever they were playing they were whoever the next round opponent was i believe they were playing at the time i was looking it up so i don't know who they're gotcha. lined up against Okay, yeah, the uh, MLS Next info can be difficult to find at times, but uh, it looks like the 17s beat NYCFC 4-0. Did, did it, were, were these games streamed? On Twitch. 
Yeah, they on were on Twitch. Twitch. Okay. Yeah. Did either of you get a chance to watch any of it or no? I did not. No, I, Michael- I saw Bill's live tweeting it. It sounds like we put the whooping on those boys in New York. Love it. And Micah, yeah, Burton, and I th- Micah Burton picked himself up two yellows and got uh, got sent off. I think they were playing 10 on 10, like 50 minutes into the game. I saw that. I saw that in Chris's tweet thread. So I believe this next round, I'm going to double check this right now, but I believe the uh, the quarterfinal round will be all the games from this point forward will be streamed. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it's right, but double check Austin FC social media. Uh, or you can, there's actually like a decent little MLS next cup section on the MLS soccer.com website. So check there. Uh, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find it, but the, these two older groups, like the 17s, especially they're a lot of fun to watch. Uh, when you get a little younger than that, they still look like kids playing soccer. They're very good at soccer, but they're still kids. But those 17s, like they start to look like pros and there's some some players on the austin team that will definitely be pros someday so uh get in on the ground floor there um any other austin fc news we want to cover before we jump into the crazy game over the weekend i'm itching to talk about the game (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) so okay so the fc dallas match we've never beat them anywhere finally getting them at home uh after we're performing quite well and it ends 2-2 what do y'all think is kind of the overall sentiment in the fan base with that result ah well that night there was a lot of frustration with falling down 2-0 and then with we had a lot of opportunities late after we came back that we did not convert there's a couple of chances even an extra time that we didn't convert so I feel like it was a very frustrated 2-2 performance yeah, Finley had a shot like in the in extra time that it wasn't an easy one, but he didn't get it anywhere close to on target, which was pretty frustrating. And then right at the last seconds, this is I mean, this is kind of probably trivial, but Lima could have put in a cross to a crowded box and tried to take an extra touch and play it up the side and they blew the whistle on him and didn't let him play. So um and I think there were a couple of other frustrating misses as well. But yeah, I, from my perspective, I was at the wedding ceremony, just like looking at my phone every once in a while. And I saw zero, 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 zero. And then the next time I checked, it was two nil. I was like, crap, what happened? And I checked again, two, one, checked again, two, two. And so having seen it that way, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty pleased with the draw. Uh, but I could see how it might not feel that way being in the stadium. Yeah. What did that pilot tell you all tonight? That's the good news is I don't have any bad news. The bad news is I don't have any good news. <laughs> like, I feel like that's how most people are feeling after that one. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like there's no shame in that result, right? Dallas is a good team. Like, if you look at their current roster, I would say they are a more complete team than Austin is right now. And so I don't think there's any shame in it, but like it is frustrating that we keep giving up goals like that and having to fight back instead of just winning a game like a normal good team. Yeah. My take on it and maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves or a little ahead of myself here, but it was really frustrating because I felt like the first hour you could see that those two goals they scored were coming. It's like, we just kept not being aggressive enough to dominate the play and we didn't take enough chances. We didn't go for goal enough. It's like, I think I said after I was like, I'm just waiting for them to score like a, you know, a BS goal on a counter because it's just exactly what's written in this game. And then it happens basically twice. 
And then, but the caveat is like, I really love that this team is, does not get pushed down easy and they don't stay down. Like it, it sounds like a sporting cliche, but it's true. I, you could tell they were completely different after they went down. Like they, they really do take that stuff personally. It seems, you know, like, like I, I like to see that, you know, it, it, it feels to me like, yeah, it's frustrating. Cause I think we should have and could have won, but I feel like I'm watching a team grow, like kind of go, it's like watching a team go through a growth spurt, you know, like they're, they're maybe better than they know how to be. And they don't know how to like channel it all the time. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just a little disappointed. Well, we heard talk last at the end of last season, Jeremiah, do you remember who it was that we interviewed that told us that they were bringing in a sports psychologist? No, I remember talking about that, but I don't remember. Somebody who it told been. us, yeah, somebody told us that last year. But uh, I believe Danny Hooson told Chris Bills in an interview pretty recently, and like brought it up unprompted that uh, that it really helped him getting back from the injury and kind of fighting back from a really tough year for him last year. And I, I imagine, I mean, it seems like that, and probably along with other things, have helped this team. So like the mentality is very different now that in the existence um, of Felipe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before the game started, I know that the supporter section held up some, uh, some special banners. Jeremiah, do you want to tell us a little bit about what those are about and kind of what the, the atmosphere in the stadium was like? Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. It was, um, they came together sort of around the school shooting in Uvalde. And so they had made, um, banners, I don't remember exactly the wording on it, but it's basically like enough enough of the gun violence, was it? And then there were individual banners that had the names of every victim of the school shooting um, on the banners along with them. I think it was their age. Um, yeah. And then there were some people that had made some like the, they just didn't come out very well in the photo, but looking at it from the section, they were pretty powerful. It was like they were big doves um, on a stick that were kind of uh, sort of all around throughout the supporter section. So I think, and, it, and they put it out... Uh, the display was during the national anthem too, which I thought was sort of a powerful time to do that. So if you look at the picture online, you can see it with like with the flag in the background. But so I think it's a powerful showing from from the supporters. All right, let's uh, jump into the game here. So as we mentioned uh, last week, Danny Pereira was not available for this game due to card accumulation and or a red card and or something else. I'm not so, sure. You have yeah. So I think. <laughs> Well, I don't know. They never really explained it very well. But uh, to quote our buddies from We Are Austin TV, it was no Danny, no party on Saturday night. And so it was for the red because he will now play against Charlotte, still sitting one card away from a yellow card accumulation penalty. So so does that mean because he got the red, the first yellow didn't count towards basically, his accumulation? Yeah, yeah, so he's still sitting on four as he was sitting in going into the game because he got the red. Okay. I that's weird, but I I like it. Like, I like that you don't get double punished for it. Yeah, I like it's that much he can better. Play in the next game. Yeah, I think it would be a bad rule if it kept a player out for three games for such like a non-serious offense. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, on what you just said, Jay, like, do y'all agree with that? Do you think it was no Danny, no party? Do you think he would have made the difference in this? I feel like that he would have. I mean, like the midfield was making, was doing nothing. I mean, it, well, well, I'll just say this now. Like, I love Felipe as an influence, 
on the team and is like a guy to run around for 20 minutes and kick people in the shins. But to like rely on him for 70 minutes or whatever we had, I think is like not a good thing for the club. And it definitely would have been better to have somebody else in there. Felipe really does just do some wild stuff every once in a while. Like he'll receive a ball turn and just like launch a long diagonal to nobody. Or like he just does some like, I don't, I don't know. He's, he looks really good at times and other times he's like, he's seeing ghosts and passing to them. Yeah. We should talk more about that later because I feel like I saw a lot of that across the back line too. Like these like really ambitious diagonal balls, but um, so I don't know if that was like a tactical thing Wolf is trying to introduce more of, but um, I don't know about the whole, I love Danny. Danny is maybe my favorite player on our team, honestly, but, and I think he would have helped us be a little more composed on the ball and transition. Cause there are, certainly moments that i mean one of the goals is directly from a lack of composure building out the back and i think he helps with that but in the same way like danny is not as polished as ring in as a six and closing down quickly and, and being a really physical defensive presence so i don't know you know maybe if, if ring bunkers with them it's a different game but i think a lot of it was to me felt like a mentality that was lacking in the first half of we just it, it happens every time we play Dallas. It looks like their players want it more straight out the gate. Like they just fight a little bit harder. I felt like we we lacked a little bit of teeth. And I don't know if Danny would have fixed that. Well, let's let's go through the starting lineup here and kind of how Austin was set up. I have some thoughts about Danny and where he should go, but I think it would help to have the context of what we were seeing in this game. So it was Stuvern goal, Gallagher and Jimenez at fullbacks. Gabrielson and Cascante as always center backs. And then it was Alex Ring and Felipe kind of as a, set up as a double pivot. Uh, Drew Yussi playing as a 10, but kind of roaming around, just getting close to the ball as much as he could. And then Diego on the left, Owen on the right, Maxi up top. Um, early in the season, we usually saw the wingers pinned really wide. And then the fullbacks would stay a little deeper and tucked in a little bit. Last night, what we were not last night on Saturday over the weekend, Diego was tucking into that pocket more often, and Gallagher was finding moments to overlap, especially late on in the game. We were chasing it. Gallagher was really pushing up that left side, but Diego was tucking in. I think they were trying to match Dallas's numbers and maybe get a numerical superiority in the midfield because Dallas plays with those three across the middle. And I think that's what they were trying to do. But seeing Alex Ring playing deeper, he just looks more at home there. And we've always, we've said like Danny Pereira, like I think he plays better from deeper, but I don't think he plays the same role that Ring does when they play in that straight up four, three, three. But Looking at this like four two three one look, I think having Ring and Pereira in that look could work, mm-hmm. and still have Ring is usually the deeper guy, but it still lets Danny play with the ball a little bit deeper, which I think he's better at that than playing kind of in those half space pockets. I don't know that he's as good there, and then it lets Drusi float around and find the ball more often instead of being on one side. And then bringing Diego in to combine more. The danger with that setup is if you're overlapping those fullbacks, we're back to where we were last season with being exposed on those counterattacks. 
Um, so Danny would need to be a little bit more, um, like just a bit more responsible with his, his positioning if we did it that way. But I mean, if you can pull it off against FC Dallas, like that's some of the most dangerous wingers in the league right there. And some of the faster guys in the league. So I think it could work. Isn't that what we essentially did against LAFC too? When we had that big win? It was a double Uh, pivot, right? Yeah, they played a double pivot. I don't know if like the winger scenario is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. As far as like, I can't remember if the I think we were a little more reserved in that one. Yeah, I don't know that the fullbacks were quite overlapping in the same way, but um, it was definitely two guys deeper in the midfield there. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think if Ring is the deeper guy, then it's not as dangerous to have Danny be the other guy back there. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's something worth looking at, especially in certain games where, you know, the other team is is a bit more high-powered. Right. I, I like that idea a lot. There's a big part of me that thinks we would be a significantly better team if we operated with a double pivot for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. But I think my one thing that my one hang up would be how Wolf instructs that double pivot, because I saw a lot of in this game, like, I agree with you. I think Alex ring is better as a six or in a midfield partnership like this, but he drifts up a lot. He likes getting involved in the attack. And there was a few moments, especially when we were really pushing where I was like, Sweet Lord, we are just leaving Cascante and Gabrielson back there with a prayer against this like nightmare. Yeah, counter. I mean, I think late on in the game they definitely were because they were they were chasing mm-hmm. it then. But um, yeah, that I think that's the thing. Like they would need to be disciplined and rotate for each other. So if mm-hmm. Ring pushes up, I think I mean the way Wolf plays, if if the attack is on and we're kind of in that finishing position, I think he's okay with them just going for it. Yeah. I think my, uh, my counterpoint, though, would be if, well, I don't think he's earned the starting spot yet. If you did a double pivot with Ring or Pereira and Valencia, I think we could compete with anyone in the league. Like, I, I think having someone like Valencia who doesn't long to get forward and make the flashy link-up play and just wants to anchor and tackle guys and like redistribute gives ring or Pereira that freedom to be the, the middleman connector and get involved and float around off of Drew UC and like be his sub- main support system. And I think that's what I would love to see more of. But like you said, if, if ring and Pereira can learn how to rotate and coexist in that way and read each other and know when one needs to stay back, I think that formation specifically in midfield, that double pivot really elevates our ceiling and who we can compete with. All right, let's um let's get into the goals here. So no oh, goals in the f- Landon. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I wanted to add one thing in because like Los Logans did give me a detailed supporter section report, and so I think they did the best summary of the first half we've seen. So before we get the goals, I'm just going to read this because it's I think Logan Bartlett wrote it, maybe drunk or maybe stream of consciousness. But. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I'm glad to hear this because the only report that I saw was uh, Logan Clark just slapping his ass standing yeah. on the rail. <laughs> well, another Wait, you need stat more I than that. Yeah, another stat I have is that they, Logan Clark was filmed in at least six different locations. And he had the Kata suit slapping himself like they counted him. But, says, but I thought this was perfect. Like Chris Vetta, this is everyone is tired of watching us passing around the horseshoe. You can feel the energy fizzle out with every lateral pass. Triusi is darting through the lines from sideline to sideline, and nobody on the back line has the ruthlessness to send him. That is all. It's like, yeah, that's pretty much a great description of how we played in the yeah. first half. 
Oh, and then Logan C is putting on a show for the people. This is the last line of that. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to become uh, like the gif that is used for opposing fans trash talking. Just like that's the response. If if a fan of a different team trash talks Austin, everyone should just respond with that gif of Lo- Logan C dancing I, in his avocado suit. I want that to be the video that plays in the background whenever y'all post a soundbite from these podcasts. So instead of the <laughs> Moon Tower logo, you just hear Landon with an insightful take over <laughs> Logan slapping his ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's get into... So for, first half, relatively uneventful. There's uh, Stuver was forced to make a crazy save very early on. There was another near miss. Um, I... Freaking Paxton Pomacall was dangerous in this game. He was, mm-hmm. I didn't, I only watched uh, like Y Scout highlights of the first half and then watched the entire second half. But Pomacall was all over those highlights. He was very much involved in almost all of them. But uh, the first one, I, I believe, comes from a, the first goal comes in the 58th minute. This is from a Paxton Pomacall shot that Stuver saves. Uh, but he he's outstretched, is only able to just get a hand on it, and it essentially just stays where it was. And Ariola comes in and plays it. Is is this the one that comes straight after a John Gallagher giveaway? Yeah, yeah. It, it was Gallagher giveaway, and he was also pretty slow to to run with Ariola on the follow up. Yeah. So this is again, like from what I remember in this moment, like most of the second half, Austin was on the front foot. It seemed, is that, is that how y'all remember it? Yeah. I, most say, I mean, Jay, I don't know if you disagree, but I wouldn't say dramatically more so, but they looked more eager. They looked more up for it in the second half. Yeah. They had, they were, they had a lot more intensity in the second half and, I, and it, you know, we'll, the score will show this, but I really feel like they finally wore it. It was hot. I feel like they finally wore Dallas down about 70-ish minutes in, too, yeah. which is really when things started changing. That's a good point. Yeah, so that one comes. It's, uh, again, just kind of a dumb defensive mistake. It wasn't necessarily, like, Dallas just beating us. I I think, as far as game plan goes, I think they, they did have a, a plan, and they were just, like, okay with Austin having the ball and we're just going to try to capitalize on moments when we messed up because we often do mess up. And if you can capitalize on those things, you can usually beat Austin. And so I think that was Dallas's plan and they did a good job, good job of it in that one. And then in the, the second goal, how does this one come about? I remember Cervania is just like nails it top corner over Stuver's head, but I can't remember how it got there. It starts with Jimenez getting his pocket picked. And then they basically launch into a counterattack while we're resetting, thinking we're in attack. And they're like at the, I don't know, 40 yards out from our goal in our half. And so they pretty much, the second they snack it from, snack it from him, snag it from him, uh, they just like full sprint straight towards goal and everyone's kind of flying at it. And I can't remember but then exactly. It, it ends up with um, the ball kind of like pops back to Julio in the box. And he's trying to play it out. And Cervania just sticks a leg in there, like sneaky little leg, and pokes it between Julio's legs. And it bounces off of his plant foot while he's trying to kick it and then just falls into his path. And then the way he places that ball, like Stuver was did well to even get a hand on it, but as close as it was and as well hit as it was, I don't think Stuver was ever going to be able to stop that. Yeah, I agree. 
So that one's in the 68th minute. So in 10 minutes there, we go from nil-nil to two-nil down. Uh, that is when Austin started making some changes, I believe. Let me pull up my timeline here. So, Musa Jite, so we put on, we yeah, put Jite on Jite Jite in the 63rd, like right after the first goal, and put, put a Ruti, pulled a Ruti off. Uh, what did y'all think of Jite in this game? Did you, did you like what you saw, Jeremiah? Yeah, I think he was really good. He did all the all the good Musa Jite things. I mean, his hold up play was great. He he ran well. I mean, he moved the ball through traffic. You know, he always looks like he's a little bit on fire when he's doing it. But um, I mean, he hung on to it. I thought it was the best game I've seen from Musa Jite in an Austin uniform. Even though he he still has you know he still hasn't scored his second goal yet, but he did pick up an assist. But I thought he was great. He also did at least one time. I think just once. He did like what we saw in that Pachuca game when we were in the press box, Jeremiah, when I think there were three or four chances in that game where it, it's not necessarily ones like you say, oh, he, he had he has to score that one. But it's like a guy who wants to be a starting striker needs to at least get it on goal. And just a lot of moments where he scuffs it or puts it straight over the bar. And there was one chance where it falls to him in the box and it would have been a, a tough finish, but he just scuffs it completely and it's nowhere even close and just kind of like rolls out of bounds, I think. Uh, so he did have one of those moments. But overall, I thought he was I thought he was solid. And so he kind of started changing the game. and was kind of bullying those those tired center backs back there. He is wild to watch play because like, you know, we all know he's big and he's fast and he's got a you know hell of a shot on him. But it's like when he runs, he's just got such a wide center of gravity that like. I mean, it's crazy to me. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, how do you even try to get the ball from that guy? Like, he's got like three feet around him that it feels like he's fully shielding it, even when he's like full sprint <laughs> at goal. Like, he's just got this massive energy about him when he runs with the ball. It's kind of crazy. Going into Austin's first goal, um, a ball, I think it might have even been a clearance or like it was not like a super planned ball but it falls into the midfield and he kind of like bullies past one guy and it falls to him and then he takes a touch and starts running at the back line and then kind of takes a little dink inside and then was going to cut back outside and try to go past um i don't remember if it was hedges or i think it was hedges okay i don't remember if it was yeah whichever center back it was there and the center back ends up kind of taking him down but the ball is like, there's like, there's almost like a momentum that was carried on through the ball because of how much momentum well, he, has. he actually hits it on his way down. And it's because it's like this guy only knows how to go forward. Like, even when he's being <laughs> basically tackled, he still touches it forward. But yeah, so the ball goes forward and like Driussi, it just seems, it seems like. Like, of course, like it, like it just went forward and Drewsy was there. But like, this is another one of those moments where Drewsy just knows where to go. Like he knows where the ball is going to be before anybody else knows where the ball is going to be. And so he runs over there and gets on it before those defenders takes a wide touch. And it's like a pretty aggressively wide touch and then slices it back across. And was, um, was it Tafari in there? I can't remember which center back. Somebody slides in and barely gets a foot to it but wasn't enough to keep it out of goal. But that that was excellent by Jerusi in that moment too. Mm-hmm. Just like one of those sneaky good things that he's able to do that like 
unless you're really paying attention, you might think, oh, that was that was easy. But when you really watch, like, holy crap, this guy's amazing. I, I feel like we forget Triussi kind of established himself as a shadow striker more than anything, right? Like not as an attacking eight, but like a true second striker. And that was one of the best examples because it wasn't beautiful link-up play between five guys like we like to see in wolf ball, but it was, oh, there's a mess of a situation and I'm going to exploit space and know exactly how to move this thing and, and get there first and just capitalize on the chaos. And it was, I loved it. It was a great goal. How confident were you in the moment that it was going to go in, Chris? I felt like until it hit the net, like it was just because it wasn't a hard shot. There were guys around like I was um, not sure. I was, you know, until that moment, I was a little worried it was going to be cleared off the line. I told you this before the recording. I kind of like black out most of these rivalry games um, off like pure overload of emotion. So I don't really remember anything of how I felt. I just remember screaming afterwards. But rewatching it. I mean, there's not a ton of reason to be like, oh, there's no way he misses this because he's got two dudes diving at him and a goalie still in goal. Like, it's an impressive goal that he he made out of that as he's like pulling three people towards him. But, you know, that's it's MVP stuff, you know, like MVPs pull those plays off and and he did it. Yeah, it was a point oh eight X goal shot, which is, I'm sure, not one of our better attempts of the (laughs) night that he he slid in. That's crazy. Um. Then the next goal comes. I guess there were more subs before the second goal, weren't there? Yeah, that's when we so we had uh, Kolmanich come on at eighty four. I get these are probably all made at the same time, weren't they? Were all yeah. three made at the same time? Well, well so there's two was... two rounds of subs. There was uh, Lima and Finley for Jimenez and Felipe at seventy. Okay, and then Husin came on by himself, and then Husin and Kolmanich came in together. Okay, gotcha. And so Husin was only on for um, like a couple minutes. I don't know exactly, yeah. but it was pretty quick. He got involved. Yeah. So Austin is pushing really hard at this point. They're they're going after that that draw and even a win. Like the way that they were really just like pressing Dallas at this point. And so um, Diego ends up with it pretty deep in the midfield. Oh, it's also worth mentioning that Owen Wolf swaps over to uh to central midfield uh whenever Ethan Finley comes on. And I thought he held his own there. Like Oh yeah. That kid's he, gonna be I, I think that's where he's gonna play. Like one thing I do want to throw in about Wolf, especially when he switched to midfield, is like I really overlook he's willing to take a shot. Like he's so clean and responsible on the ball. I kind of like put him in this box in my mind of like the safe coach's son player. But in reality, like he is, he's that dude. He's, he's willing he to go one. for it. Yeah. It, like, he I hit it hard. It. It, it didn't, it didn't make it through the box. It was a crowded box, but he hit it hard. And I feel like he does um, that more when he's in a central position. I think he's more comfortable there and willing to take those risks. Cause I feel like when he's out wide, he's like just trying to distribute the ball into dangerous areas and kind of like do the role. Whereas it seems like he's like, oh, I know I can calculate this risk right now and and rip it. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the goal, Diego ends up with it like centrally and plays a really nice kind of threaded pass to Lima, who's overlapping, running up the side of the box. Lima, to his credit, I think I feel like too many times on this ball, like an Austin FC player receives the ball in that location, they'll take a touch and like just kind of assess the situation and look up and maybe try to cut it back. 
to the penalty spot or play like a, a far side little chipped ball to the back post. And Lima is, as the ball's running on, it was such a well-played ball that he didn't have to really pay attention to the ball. He just ran alongside it and was able to assess the what was going on in the box. And he just smashes it hard about like head height. And we had a striker making a near post run, which is like a thing that never happened last season. It was so infuriating. And Danny Houston is there. He's he's making that near post run as soon as he sees that ball. And it's the ball's humming like it's coming across fast. And so he has to react really quickly, gets his head on it, megs the keeper. Austin's tied 2-2. But that like a striker's goal, like Jeremiah, how many times last season in those first few games talking about Danny Houston, did we complain about him not making a run? Yeah, and it was I mean it was a run, it was a diving header, it was everything you wanted him to be. Cause I think we would we talk about him at his best. He's like, he's a really good striker, like tracks back and distributes and lets other people do yeah. you know, attacking interesting things, which is not at all what you what you want out of somebody. So I really liked well, so I'm gonna have to, I guess, eat my words that I've said multiple times this season, where I've said, like, we've got the kind of depth that if you need to hang on to a lead or if you're tied, you're gonna be okay, but we don't have the like jing game changing depth to come come from behind but bringing both these guys on and like throwing everything into the attack worked out this uh this week like in a way it hasn't before how how much yeah like oh i just want to ask how much do y'all think that is the personnel being better or the coach being better because you could argue that doesn't happen if wolf doesn't say we're gonna go two strikers up top and now we know how to use it whereas last season it felt like they had no idea how to play off of each other if we tried to put two people up top. But you I mean, it, it it has to be both of those things. Like yeah. for it to work, it has to be both of those things. And so to Houston's credit, he is a different player than he was last year. And from what we know now, he was injured. Like he was playing injured for those first five games. And we gave him a bunch of crap. Other people gave him a bunch of crap for looking bad. And he was hurt the whole time. And so um like, yeah, just like he's able to do things now that he wasn't able to do then. And so going back to a question we got last week about playing two strikers, I don't think this is a thing that we're going to see Wolf start out with. But to have that like pull the rip core, like break glass in case of emergency, to know that like this is a thing that can be dangerous and cause problems for the opposition defense, like that's that's a great tool to have. Yeah, I think in the postgame interview, uh, I think it was with Bill's, you know, he asked Houston how much time they spend in practice working on this like two striker formation. He's like, none. Like we don't. It's like it's not part of the system. So I think, I think it That's is a little bit of both. You know, Chris, to your point, like good on Josh Wolf for having the confidence to like or the gumption, whatever role was something he didn't like work in practice over and over and over again, and just be like, you know what, we got to go, we got to go and see if this works, and like good on the players for executing. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because I feel like a lot of people on Twitter, as Gta performs and Houston performs, are asking the question of, should we be doing a two-striker system? And knowing they don't even practice it kind of answers that question. <laughs> like, Wolf is like, nah, dude, have you seen how I want to play? <laughs> like, I guess not. Well, they talked about that on either Extra Time or the MLS After Dark. One of the MLS media properties were talking about that, and... I can't remember who said it, but their answer was if they did play two striker system. And this kind of confirms Chris's point that it was, it should be with 
uh, the striker and Driussi exactly as that other guy. Because if you're playing him out wide, this is kind of our answer is like why you can't play these four certain guys in the field at the same time is because it, it, in any result is going to take Driussi off of the ball more. Mm-hmm. And like any answer that causes Driussi to touch the ball less is a bad answer. And so if we're having two strikers in, and one of them is not Drewsy. That means he's playing wide. He's touching the ball less. And so I want an option where he's touching the ball more. And so for that reason, I don't want these two guys to start. But again, like I said, I I, I like it as the as the backup plan whenever things go south. Um. All right. Any other moments from this game that we want to talk through? No, I mean, we there was a lot of criticism of this Finley ball that he didn't get on in extra time. I mean, there's like a lot of general criticism of Ethan Finley, and I, I don't think he did anything to like alleviate any of that with his performance um, on Saturday night. Uh, but I felt like in the stands, you know, they pulled the ball to the back of the net with five minutes left, that there was still the chance that we would that we would pull this out. So it was a, that's where I guess it gets back to, be, to being a little bit of a disappointing ending. Yeah, so uh, looking at the standings now, I believe we are still technically third place in the West, but RSL's played one more game than us and are only one point ahead. So if you're going by points per game, we have the second highest total in the West. Um, And then what are the, Jeremiah, what do Copa Tejas standings look like now after this one? Copa Tejas standings right now are that we're on four, Dallas is on four, and Houston is on zero, having lost to both Houston and Dallas. uh, I mean, Austin and Dallas. Only played, oh yeah, they've played two games, haven't they? I was thinking they've only, yeah, we both beat them. Okay. They lose so much, it's easy to forget. It's Yeah, right. It's happened. Yeah, and we'll, and it'll all be wrapped up between July 9th and July 16th because that's Houston at wait, Dallas at Houston on the 9th, Austin hosts Houston on the 12th, and then Austin hosts Frisco on the July 16th. So that match that we were just talking about, the tickets will be gone in the supporters section will quite likely be the Copatayas deciding match too if things hold the way they are now. Yeah, is there is there any way that it could be out of reach by that point there's not right i don't think so i guess like maybe with tiebreakers if like if dallas beats houston by eight goals or whatever yeah Mm -hmm. the worst dallas would be on seven and we would be on four when we head down there so yeah i don't don't know what the specific tiebreakers are yeah so maybe that but it it very likely will be in contention for that game which will make it even more exciting because that was the case last year when we went went uh up to frisco and ended up losing it, but it would be great to go and take it home this time. Yeah, and last year it was the only thing we had to play for, right? Like we were the yeah. three three worst teams in the Western Conference, and all of a sudden Copa Teos became important because it was the only thing that mattered. You know, now it would be looks like it is going to be two playoff teams playing against each other for the trophy, which is going to make it a lot more meaningful. Um, I have one more note from the Logans, and that is I don't know if you saw um, was it Hector's baby, Hector's little kid dancing. You've said, mm-hmm. Landon, that you sh- you should watch for the children dancing after games if you oh, want to find something Ma- entertaining. Oh, it's always Maxie's kid. Maxie's kid is the dancer. Well, this one was Hector this week. Apparently, Hector's okay. kid did a, did a good job of uh, of dancing after the match. And I believe I have a video of it too, so we'll post that for the Moon Tower Soccer account um, that Logan Bartley got. But yeah, he was he was the star of the post match. 
All right, I think we should take a break and then we're going to come back and answer some Patreon questions. And then we also are going to preview the Charlotte match and then the Colorado match too, right? Yeah, because the Colorado match, programming note, the Colorado match is on Monday, July 4th, which is when we usually record. So we're going to push recording back a day and then release it a day later. Yes, so we will come back with all of that. Uh, Hang tight. We'll be right back. All right, I I told you at the beginning of the show that I have not eaten anything so i'm gonna step away and eat a few bites of food i'm gonna leave it to chris wellhausen who is a new listener of the austin daily drop who is sponsoring the show this week chris tell us about your experience with austin daily drop yeah so i actually had never heard of austin daily drop until y'all mentioned it on the show and gave it a listen and it's kind of become a part of my daily routine now like it's it's amazing it's it's chris uh, Mosier, the host has got like this very classic radio voice and he just pretty much in 10 minutes or less will button up all the news you need to know around town and it's it's great it's like how i start my days now like which sounds scripted but it really isn't like i love it so there's nothing like an actual listener testimonial hey advertising works y'all like the billboards always say yeah <laughs> that's awesome man so if you want a chance to listen to chris cover everything from city government to local business to sports to live music and everything in between you can listen to him every day from 8 to 10 minutes. Usually comes out by 8 a.m. Um, and give Chris... What is it? What is, what is our line? Oh, man. See, I screwed it up. Give Chris 10 minutes and he'll give you Austin. Keep going with the other ads. <laughs> While Landon continues to try to shove something in yeah, his you made, hole. I don't know what it is. This time. <laughs> you got a whole lot of... <laughs> I'll edit it out. Don't worry. What is that? What are you eating? Is it like it's halal? Ch- chicken shawarma. Nice. Rice bowl. Oh, yeah. While Landon eats chicken shawarma rice, we are going to talk to you about Sage Wilson Property Group. We're doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson for the next home match. To enter, go to MoontowerSoccer.com, click on the free ticket giveaway link in the top navigation bar, or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. So we got into this a little bit last week, but uh, do you find yourself wanting to get injured in order to be able to use the services of FVF Law? No, but in moments that I naturally almost get injured, they often come to mind. Awesome. You can go to FEF.law to figure out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that is FEF.law. Okay, we are back. Uh, Thank you, for gents, for giving me a chance to scarf a few bites of food. I will edit out all of the chewing sounds that you guys had to listen to for a bit. (laughs) But let's jump into a few Patreon questions. So the first one comes from Ryan Lloyd. And this one was on Twitter, but or somewhere, maybe Los Verde Slack somewhere. But there was a question posed about um, maybe giving Micah Burton a shot to come into the first team and make an impact in games like 
this weekend where we're down a few central midfielders. Is is there? Am I missing anything from the question there, Jeremiah? Or is that kind of the gist of that's, it? That's the gist of it. It's, he said basically people are calling for Micah Burton. I don't know if that's you know if this is a hot take or not. And that's what it turned into. Yeah. So like. Is that something you would want to see, Jeremiah, or are you indifferent about this? I am. I mean, Micah Burton looks like a very skillful and advanced child playing soccer, but he still he just doesn't have like that. He doesn't seem like have the build or the. I don't think he would stand up to action very well, so I would not be too excited about seeing Micah Burton anything outside of a friendly this year. Which we, if he didn't play against Pachuca, he's not going to play against anybody. So I think next year maybe is the time to see him make his debut. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think very good, very high upside, but he just turned 16 like a couple of months ago. Uh, he's he's younger than Owen Wolf was at this point last year when he started seeing a little bit of action and probably not even really close to as physically mature as Owen Wolf was at this point last season. And so um, I think probably the more likely path for Micah Burton is seeing a lot of MLS next pro minutes, uh, in 2023. And the ideal scenario would be starting there and then earning his way into some like bench appearances for the first team. And then maybe fighting his way into some spot minutes there. But I just don't think he's, he's quite ready for it. And like, frankly, I don't, I don't know that there is anybody on the Academy that's ready for it right now, but will be maybe in the next year. You would go with the next one. The next one's from Kevin Cavanaugh, who says, I was looking at her salary budget. Is Roddy Redis the most overpaid athlete in the history of professional sports? If not, who do you think is? This um, is an easy no. Like, right? On Austin FC, maybe. You could make that argument. That's not the question. He says the history of professional sports. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like this year in the league, there's some DPs making upwards of six million that have scored like one goal <laughs> so yeah just looking even in mls he's not even anywhere near the most overplayed player in mls i would say maybe not even on austin fc but there's some obvious examples within mls like guys who have been paid a ton of money and were major busts i guess to his credit though the people you pay a lot of money even if they're a bust they do tend to bring a lot of headlines with them. Like Shakiri has been a bust so far, but he brought a ton of attention to that team and could still maybe come good. Like there's some value, right, to just like signing him and selling shirts, but maybe not so much with Redis, <laughs> right? So like to Kevin's credit, like he really has not given us much of anything and we're not paying nothing for him. If we're looking at like what you're actually getting out of a player, uh, a recent example that's now in MLS is Gareth Bale. I think he's played like eight game played like eight games for Real Madrid this year, and he's making 31, 31 million pounds. So that's like forty between forty and fifty million dollars a year. He's also like and one of the he, most decorated players on that Real Madrid team for But Real like what I'm saying, like if you're looking at like what you got out of him this year. This he's leader. not. He's not worth twelve million pounds a game. Listen, if Ronnie Redis wins us what three or five, even Concacaf Champions Leagues, I will be glad if he gives us two seasons like this. But he has not done that. <laughs> so I, I have an example here, Jeremiah. You, you might know 
a little bit about this one. I'm guessing, have you ever paid any attention to baseball at all? Oh man, I, this is gonna be my answer. I think. Okay, go for it. Yeah, then. yeah. Is it? Is it? We're because we're almost on the anniversary of this, or we're almost on the annual uh, celebration of this day. I think if that's what you're yeah, thinking July, about. Yeah, July first. July first is Bobby Bonilla Day, when uh, Bobby Bonilla, who I believe last played for the Mets in the like 1999, but every year between 2011 and 2035, he gets 1.15 million dollars on July first in deferred compensation, and he is currently 50. Eight and he will get paid at eight years old, and he will get paid until he's 72. He will make a million dollars a year after, and at that point in time, he will have not played the game of baseball for 30 years and still be making a million dollars a year for being a baseball player. Wow! And you may ask yourself how that happens, but it's because (laughs) uh, the ownership of the Mets was heavily invested in a can't lose uh, investment uh, portfolio run by one Bernie Madoff. At the time, and then they ran out of money, so they had to come up with all this crazy stuff in order to be able to like pay players. And this is one of the things they came up with. It really is amazing. For those of y'all who don't know about this, find find an article, find a podcast about Bobby Bonilla Day because it really is like one of the most amazing stories in sports. But it's just one easy example of how Rodney Redders is nowhere near the most overpaid athlete in the history of professional sports. He is making like four hundred thousand dollars a year. And he's at least like on the roster and like training with the team. Bobby Bonilla is a grandpa man, and he is still making a million dollars for the next 13 years or whatever. All right, we have one more question too that I was going to say, but Chris Wilhausen could not let this show pass without uh, without having it answered, without giving us an answer. This is from Tom Halleck, and he says, give us your top five DPs who Austin FC has a chance to sign realistic-ish after unloading Los Paraguayos, I like that that's a plural because I guess he assumes we are also going to under, unload Rodney this summer. But let's just like let's ignore that part of it and just say, who's your replacement? For, who are your replacements for Cecilio Dominguez, Tom? Yes, I need. Wait, can, can, can I answer before Chris answers? Go for it. Okay, so my short answer is I have no clue, like absolutely no clue, because we didn't we didn't see Drew see coming. We didn't see Dominguez coming like the like we found out about these players after they were rumored to be signing with Austin FC. There was I don't think any players that someone was like, you know what, this guy would be a good guy to sign. And then we got anywhere close to actually signing that player. And so I have a hard time getting excited about like going through transfer marked and like finding players because I'm like, we don't know. We absolutely don't know. But uh, not knowing anything has never stopped Chris <laughs> yeah. Wellhausen from wildly speculating about it. So well, we're going to turn Chris loose on this one. <laughs> unlike you, Landon, I have correctly predicted multiple <laughs> signings for Austin FC and I can send you those receipts from Twitter. So before you throw out that, who, wait, who are those? Who did you predict? Predicted Nick Lima before we signed him. Uh, bookmarked Danny Hooson before we signed him. Predicted Ethan Finley before we signed him. I'll send you the tweets. Uh, while Landon's picking his job from the floor, I'll go ahead and rally <laughs> I just don't the know how, I don't want to feel we, about what, those picks. I, so the Ethan Finley and Danny Hooson ones. They were free agents, and so I'm not going to give you as much credit for that one. But if, <laughs> but if, but if you really did no scope the Nick Lima one, I, that one is, impresses me. It wasn't. It wasn't as bold as like this is a for sure signing. But I was like, I could see us going for this guy just because of the national team history and style of play. 
and where he was at was San Jose. But regardless, here is my answer. I do need to say I did not know this was a question till like just now, but I have been daydreaming about this so much. I can't give you five, but I can give you three that are somewhat in the realms of reality and they're all wildly different. So I hope this satisfies your DP fantasy needs. Um, one guy who I, this is going to be like a totally just out of nowhere. There's no rumors or anything. Right. But I could see him being a, just the right profile of player that I'd want us to go for is I think you pronounce his name. Sufain Buffal. Uh, he used to, he briefly played for Southampton in the premier league. Uh, he plays in uh, league Un in France and performs pretty well, but he's kind of like that ideal plays for a mid-level team performs well in the top five league, doesn't have an obnoxious transfer fee. His contract might be coming to an end soon, but it may just be that he's, I think you could get him for around six or $8 million in a transfer fee. And he's the profile player we should look at. He's an insanely technical player, insane on the ball, really good dribbling skills. And he's fast as hell. So like when I was just thinking of like, who should we even be looking at? That was a guy that, came to mind a lot of like he matches the profile really well and isn't way overpriced like i could see it being one of those like unexpected signings um someone else i've been recently really fixated on just is going to feel like a weird answer but land i'm curious if you agree with this is uh daniel shallowy who currently plays for sporting kansas city and his contract is coming to an end this year i don't know if it's this summer or in the winter No, it's at the end of this season yeah so I remember hearing rumors that he likely won't resign because he wants DP money. And that's because last season he scored 18 goals and got, I think three, maybe more assists. So he put an MVP season up on the board. He's 25. He's an, a Hungarian international starter. Like it's not the typical profile, but in the league right now, you can see a lot of moves like that. Like Walker Zimmerman becoming a DP, like, um, you know, paying top dollar for Kellen Acosta and LAFC, um, Albert Rusnak, you know, get going to Seattle for, I, I think he might be on a DP contract. If not, he's a top TAM player. Like he's, he's DP in Seattle. Yeah. So I think that's a new movement just starting in MLS where the best teams are buying domestically and paying top dollar for it. And that's a realistic signing, you know, like I've watched, I've watched him play quite a bit. He's not as fast as I think we should be looking for in someone, but he can, he can hang in this system. Really good link up play likes. Yeah. I mean, 18 goals last season should say all you need to know about that. Right. So that's a player I'm kind of, I wouldn't be shocked if they tossed a, a low DP contract at to bring him over. I would be mad if they weren't asking about him. I, right? My concern with him is like, I don't know that he'll want to stay in MLS. Uh, he is Hungarian, I believe. And Mm -hmm. he's still quite young, he's mid-20s, and could probably get looks in Europe with the the couple of seasons he's put together. Um, So if he wants to stay in MLS, uh, I think it was, did Tom Bogert write that article on MLSsoccer.com? Somebody wrote this article, but it was like the the top players who are going to be out of contract at the end of this year. And I looked through it, and like most of them didn't really seem to fit what Austin needs or has space for, but Shallowy was one that caught my eye and like super attack minded winger. And so we've got Diego on one side who is more like likes to cut inside and combine and kind of be a connector. 
and shallow he's a guy who just goes like he's not really worried about playmaking or connecting like he wants to go score a goal like that's what shallow he wants to do and so having that dynamic like one on one side one on the other would be great but uh yeah like i want austin to shoot for it and if like say we do um we do like we're able to get rid of dominguez over the summer like it's signing a dp is hard but mm-hmm. if they could get talks going at that point like okay well, maybe we would be in for shallowy at this yeah. point like maybe that's worth holding on for the rest of the year for well because he's a guy you could build around the opposite too is you can get him for not a lot of gam because his contract's ending and so if they know he's yeah. not gonna resign that may be only like 300 gam would normally it would take two million right so it could still happen in the summer and i think it's a fun thing not to like derail too much but like that's a fun thing that's changing in the league right now is this free agent market is brand new to mls and didn't really exist to this degree until the last cba was signed and so it's kind of this fun new element you have to look at of oh maybe like the why risk bringing someone abroad in who very well may not work when there's a dude who scored 18 goals last season right down the road that knows the league doesn't need to adjust and we can just put into our system Right. So it's a fun thought. But just to close this out, I won't go to five because I'm not that obsessed, unfortunately, but I can give three. The really outlandish one, barely on the realm of reality, I'd say is Isco. Just because I've heard top tier reporters say he has had a really strong eye on MLS for quite a while. And oh, they really? would, some, I can't, I think it may have been with Tom Berger, but uh, there was an interview months ago where they said, like, who's the, like, really big name you wouldn't think of that could be the next big signing in MLS. And they said Isco like well before this window and his contract expires this summer. Um, I don't think he will come here, (laughs) but if you want to daydream about someone flashy, especially as this new TV money's coming in and the league is clearly putting this re-emphasis on big names with players like Insigne and Bale and Shakiri, like it could happen. With Jeremiah's boyhood club, LAFC bringing in Bale, like if we are able to get rid of Dominguez, like that, that's a realistic option. I'm not saying it's like likely, but there's no, like if that spot were opened up, I know we've talked about like all the weird rules with like, Oh, this DP spot has to make below this amount of money. And that's why Alex ring is a DP. Mm-hmm. This guy's uh, under 22. If Cecilia Dominguez's slot on the roster is unrestricted, that's you can, whoever you can get, convinced to come play for you however much money you want to pay them you can do it with that spot and so uh east goes a long shot but it's not like it's not an impossible shot and so that would be that would be killer and to all the people that'll hear that and be like there's no way isco comes to austin of all places you know in mls like where do you go after madrid when you've won everything you that is the peak you have nothing else to prove in your career I, i i'm fully convinced if you're coming from barca or madrid like you are way more open to something like this because like, what do you have to prove? Like you have accomplished everything just by being Jer- there and winning those trophies. Jeremiah, who would be on your like pie in the sky wish list? Oh, I haven't even, this, this is why I wrote like, let's talk about this next week. And then, no, let's, <laughs> you well, don't just think just about name, this all the time. Name a Liverpool player. I just can't. Like, <laughs> 
what is it? You know, there was this all this talk about a Daniel Sturridge, you know, coming over as an oh, ex Liverpool yeah. player, and he's not on my list. I've seen enough of that. I, would, I, would <laughs> I guess there's like not really other Liverpool guys who would even like be in the position to be coming this way soon. It would have been Shak- a former one would have been Shakiri, you know, but that's, yeah, he's already yeah, and that seemed like that seemed like a bad deal too when they signed him. I mean, I we've we've gotten. Sebastian Driussi has been such a revelation. I'm like, let's find somebody who's playing for a marginal Champions League team and go get them. And like, and I don't know, they're just like, you know, it's like a 40 clubs that fit into that profile. But I think I would way rather do that than sign somebody from Liverpool or Real or United or City or like these big clubs that like there's a premium that comes along right. with them. Let's let's find somebody who's on the fringes of of Champions League action and and poach them and bring them to the MLS. Well, I think is... another place to look, which some players in this position have been rumored, not necessarily to MLS, but some to MLS, is guys who just got relegated. And so looking yeah. at the teams who are relegated from the top European leagues and maybe either have releases in their contract or are just going to like force their way out, essentially, or the club can't afford them if they're in the second division, Like guys in that situation might be options for players to bring in as those like like you maybe wouldn't have been able to afford them under regular circumstances and i think too it's a fun question to daydream about right now because in a world cup year there are people on the table that wouldn't normally be because if they're not getting minutes yeah team six months of guaranteed starting time is not nothing even if you're maybe going down a league in quality um the only the last thing i'll say on the transfer stuff is well landon is right there's no way to know fully you know other than me from time to time yeah but uh it's all a guess it's like i do hope it's a player from europe because our scouting in europe has been significantly better than our scouting in south and central america like night and day different when you're comparing driussi and gta to fredis romagna dominguez whomever right so that would be my one thing is i hope whoever we sign as a dp is from europe because i have a lot more confidence in their scouting there than elsewhere all right uh let's move on to our game previews as we mentioned earlier we have charlotte on thursday of this week then colorado on monday so we're gonna push back recording record on tuesday we'll release the the show on wednesday um jeremiah give us a a very brief (laughs) the history history about charlotte history Uh, Charlotte, charlotte what is it charlotte fc what is their name that's why uh, FC. it's FC yeah. Charlotte, right? Or is it Charlotte FC? Charlotte FC. Okay. Yeah, they have no history. Uh, they started <laughs> They started playing this year. They were off to a bit of a rocky start, right? They had huge turnover in the front office during the offseason. I believe their coach said in Spanish that they were f- going into the season, right? That was them. <laughs> Estamos jodidos. <laughs> and he made it through, what, eight, ten games with them in eighth place? And they got rid of him, apparently. Not the- due to results, though, right? Yeah, yeah, he had him firing. Yeah, the resu- yeah, I guess the didn't the rumor was like he and Shinashiki did not get along. If I remember not that Shin- right, not Shinashiki. It was the Polish guy Swiderski. Yeah, oh, Swiderski. Okay, but gotcha. It was apparently like not just him, but quite a few players, and then also their sporting director, and then also pretty much everybody who ever came into contact with him didn't really like this guy. <laughs> so he's gone. Um, so now they, but they still sit ninth in the East, which I think is a lot better than everybody thought that they would be. They have 17 goals for 21 goals against, 
Uh, Chinashiki and Sudersky lead the team with four goals each. <coughs> You're coughing because I don't think Shinashiki is leading their goal scoring, is he? They yeah. just signed him. Yeah, he's been killing it, though. What? Yeah, they both got four. <laughs> Dang. We should have signed that boy. Anyways, keep going. So they have they have dipped been formed recently. Over the last five, they are one win, one draw, and three losses, most recently losing to Montreal, who Austin has experience with. Um, so I mean they seem like a club that's ripe for Austin to have victory against, but I think the real challenge for Austin is gonna be it's no Danny. So what kind of lineup do you guys think that we end up running out uh on Thursday night? I think it almost has to be the what the same thing we saw on Saturday against Dallas. Um, it, Chris, Wait, I, could you see any changes in that? Or do you think it's going to be the same? I thought we do have Danny for Charlotte. Oh, we do have Danny for Charlotte. That's yeah. right. Come on, no. yo. We didn't have Danny for Dallas. We do have Danny for Charlotte. Danny on four yellows for Charlotte. Okay, never mind then. So wait, okay, so we are going to have Danny. So what does this, I think this just comes down to more of like a formation question then. I think we see Danny in for Felipe. But are we going to see the, like, Danny is the lone six, Ring is the lone six, or will we see that double pivot? I think that's probably the big question in this one. It's tough because part of me wants to say we'll see the double pivot because it's an away game, and Wolf knows those are difficult. So, like, let's play smart. Let's play a little safer and snag a, you know, a counter goal and, and call it a day. But part of me, too, probably knows there's blood in the water in Charlotte and I wouldn't be shocked if Wolf was like, let's go play our way. Cause we'll be able to. So let's keep the four, three, three and, and really like impose ourselves to this vulnerable team. So that's, I honestly don't know. It's a tough call. And that would be a more aggressive approach than, than we took last year, which kind of leans back into, you know, talking about things like him bringing in two strikers. I think last year, you know, especially later in the year, like we were giving up on the midweek game in a three week, in a three-match week, right? Which is effectively what this is. I mean, it's a Saturday, Thursday, Monday, but it's still, I mean, it's still three games in like nine or ten days. So I would love to see him come out and be aggressive. Yeah, and I would say I would, I'm curious who starts at striker because even though a Rudy should be our locked-in starter for now, a packed game week and coming off a really good sub-appearance, like especially against a vulnerable team, put Gita in. Let him get a goal. Let him. This is screams confidence boosting game for a guy like that. You know, disorganized team, let the chaos agent come in and, and be a bull in a China shop, right? So I don't know. I, I hope GJ gets a start at least in one of these games, but I'd prefer him over in Charlotte over uh, Colorado. I mean, if past is precedent, Wolf has said time and time again that it, like essentially if there's three days of rest in between games, then he's not that worried about rotation. And we have three plus days in between all of these. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we rolled out the same 11 for both of these games. Um, anything else about Charlotte? I mean, I th yeah, I, th I think this one, like we should beat them. We can beat them, but it being on the road, being midweek complicates that a little bit. But uh, we've been actually quite good on the road this year. So maybe that's not even a thing to consider right now. All right, let's jump into uh, Colorado, Jeremiah. Um, we haven't played them this year, have we? 
So Not yet. Should we do a Should we do a history lesson, or we, we played them enough? I think, time I think we played it. them. We played them enough. Uh, Chris Wellhausen and I like cried in each other's arms in Colorado last year. So I think it's probably <laughs> the only really relevant history to that. But they finished first in the West last year. Um, lost to Tempers in the Western Conference semifinals. Um, this year they returned most of their core, minus Kellen Acosta and Cole Bassett. I know most of the league prognosticators had them third or fourth in the league coming in, and they have not been very good so far. So they sit 10th in the West, also 17 goals for and 21 goals against. Diego Rubio is there leading the team with seven goals, and they also have Giassi Zardes in, who is the club's only designated player, although they haven't gotten a whole lot out of him so far. Yeah, they've been in really bad form the last three games, too. I think they have three one loss to Nashville, a tie with NYCFC, and then a 3-0 loss most recently to Portland. Like, you know, they're they're in a low point. Let's go, let's go make it worse. <laughs> Another team that seems right for the taking, right? Yeah, it's kind of a great packed week schedule for us, honestly. And big teams win games like this, but when you're playing away in MLS, it's hard to feel like anything's a guarantee. So we'll see. So now going back to the Danny question, knowing that he's on four yellows, like, do you think he makes it to Colorado or do you think he? <laughs> oh, this is a more fun game of how will Danny get his next yellow card? <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. How and when will Danny get his next yellow card? And can we ever expect Danny to go five without to like take one off his tally? Yeah, it's tough. Like, so we're only two weeks into the Valencia injury. And so at least a couple more, like probably two to four more weeks missing him. And so like, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's worth, I think it's like you tell him like, be a little bit careful, like, but do what you need to do. Like if he gets it, he gets it. And we play Felipe. But um, I just like the same, the same way we are all so worried about like him getting the, the yellow for the, for the Canada game, which he wasn't going to go to, like, I think it's probably overcomplicating it and just like learn from your stakes, do better. But if he gets the yellow, he gets the yellow. We have the depth to deal with this. That's what it's about. You know, like it's not starting caliber, but I'm fine. If we have a game where Felipe or teen wolf takes the, the eight spot in the midfield, right? Like we can hang, especially against teams as vulnerable. So I agree with you. I don't think you really got to, rein him in i think i'd be more nervous if come houston or dallas or whichever one's on the horizon after these two games like he's still riding that final yellow or something like i would much I just look i was just looking ahead because i couldn't remember who he would miss if he were to get the yellow against colorado and it's atlanta and this is the first time that this has mm. crossed my mind that we could see both the wolf brothers play against each other oh cool and then Josh Wolf coach against his oldest son. Wow, that is a narrative. I hope. I, like, wow. I don't know if Tyler's been starting recently. I kind of. Th- I don't think he's been starting, but he gets minutes. Um, he gets minutes, and so I, I really hope he ends up on the field during that game. That would be great. All right. Anything else before we wrap up, fellas? I think we've done this show all that all that we can do for it. And I think we I think we can be proud of this one, guys. We we were faced with adversity and we overcame. It's as if we were down two nil. That's and right. And we came and back yet, and pulled out a draw. Failed. 
Yeah. No, we, we can call this like a polio sol DC United 3-2 <laughs> yeah, like victory. That. Let's go with that. Yeah. I love that Jeremiah is like, we didn't win, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we're, we're done with our, our little donation drive for reviews. I think we ended up with 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Somewhere so around there. we'll give a hundred and some odd dollars to APA uh, in honor of Poyo. But still, give us a give us a review if you think about it. Tell a friend helps us uh, find find more of our audience. And if you want to continue the conversation, you can find me at lviahero eighty seven, Jeremiah at jbentley underscore atx, and Chris at Chris Wellhausen. And then uh, Moon Tower Soccer is at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Instagram and Twitter. We also encourage you to sign up for the Patreon, where you can make us answer questions, and then we can make Chris answer them if we aren't prepared enough. Uh, and then we'd like to encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website where you can use the code MOONTOWER22, that's with a capital M, MOONTOWER22, for a 30% discount. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for? Uh, there was actually two Austin FC articles this week. Uh, one was a, I believe it was from Chris, it was a pretty good one that sort of talks about where we stand at a, effectively the midpoint of the season. Um, and there was also another good one from John Arnold about the, despite the short history, FC Dallas and Austin FC also feel like a really big rivalry. So, you know, these Copa Tejas games are great matches to really take in all the striker has to offer when you have guys like Chris and John both writing about these games. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. Again, this it will come out on Wednesday, not on Tuesday as normal, but we will uh, review both the Colorado and Charlotte matches at that point. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And I'm Chris Wellhausen. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God. <laughs>